You're listening to audio from Grace Family Church. If you'd like to explore more resources or give to our ministry, please visit us at gracepsl.org. As we come before you this morning, uh, just bring our moment of giving before you, whether that was earlier this week or this morning or later on today. And uh, we say, for you, Lord, for your work, for your glory, for your gospel, for your name's sake. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. 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 All right, you may be seated. Let's open our Bibles this morning to the book of Hebrews. We're going to be kind of skimming around between Hebrews chapter 4 and Hebrews chapter 10. As you know, three weeks ago, we began a new series on Sunday mornings entitled Jesus Christ, Prophet, Priest, and King. And we're doing this in order to more fully understand the person of Jesus Christ and what He has done for us through the gospel. You know, everything Jesus did prior to His incarnation prior to coming into the world, and everything He did during His earthly ministry, and everything that He does right now in His heavenly ministry, He did or does as either prophet, priest, or king. And therefore, part of coming to know the Lord is knowing Him as prophet, priest, and king. These offices all find their origin in the Old Testament. God established them as a way to relate to his people, the ancient Israelites. Each office was anointed by God and was to fulfill a specific purpose. Through the prophet, God spoke to his people. Through the priest, God brought his people to himself. And through the king, God ruled over and protected his people. Now, although these offices served a purpose in the Old Testament, Ultimately, they were to point to a greater purpose. They were a foreshadowing of a singular person who would be anointed as the ultimate prophet, priest, and king. In the Old Testament, that person was known as the Messiah. In the New Testament, the Christ or the Anointed One, a.k.a. Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Jesus is the ultimate prophet, priest, and king. He's the prophet who sets us free with his truth. He said, you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. He's the great high priest who brings us into the presence of God through his death and his resurrection. And he is the king of kings and lord of lords who laid down his life for us. And so, two weeks ago, we looked at Jesus, the ultimate prophet. Last week, we started with Jesus our great high superior high priest. And we didn't quite finish up, so we're gonna return back there this morning with a brief uh, review, and then uh, kind of finish up that idea of Jesus being our great high priest. Again, last week we defined a priest as what? A person who mediates between God and man. And very generally speaking, the presence of a priesthood has been commonplace in nearly every society in the history of mankind. Which of course reveals several things. First of all, priesthoods reveal that there is among the human race the universal consciousness of sin. Romans 2 tells us that even without God's written law, that people have an inner awareness of their own sinfulness. And so, in nearly every religion, this has given rise to some form of priesthood to represent them before their God. The second thing priesthoods reveal is that human beings feel that they are without merit 
to atone for their own sins. They need someone special to go before them and represent them before whatever God is being worshipped. We even see this in the worst of, of pagan religions. The third thing these priesthoods reveal is a common belief in substitution. Nearly all cultures with a priesthood, there is some form of offerings that involve a substitutionary animal sacrifice. Now, where did this, since it's so universal, where did it come from? Where did this whole priesthood and substitutionary sacrifice idea come from? Where did it begin? Well, it began in the Garden of Eden. You know, before the fall, God said to Adam that if he ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he would certainly die. Adam and Eve did just that. They ate from that tree, but guess what? They did not die, did they? Instead, God mercifully covers them with the skins of slain animals whose blood was apparently shed in their place by God who momentarily serves as a high priest. Adam and Eve lived because of a substitute who died for them. And from that point on, the idea of a priest and substitutionary sacrifice just became a part of all human, all human cultures and, and involved in all kinds of worship, even uh, all through the, the false gods that exist within the world. You'll find this. You'll find a priest. You'll, you'll find a substitutionary sacrifice. But it all started with the one true God in the garden. Now, centuries later, the priesthood and the sacrifices were, were codified by God under the, the Mosaic Law, which restated that the penalty of sin was death, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Leviticus 17.11. Someone must die. The good news of the Gospel is that somebody did die for our sin. God Himself became a man in the incarnation of Jesus Christ and He was the ultimate priest who offered Himself up on the cross as our ultimate substitute so we could be completely forgiven our sin and have unlimited access to God. Getting ahead of myself there a little bit. Now this priesthood that God established under Moses was actually headed up by Moses' uh, brother, elder brother, whose name was Aaron and his descendants who belonged to one of the 12 tribes of Israel, the tribe of Levi. And so it is often referred to as the Levitical priesthood. Now these priests uh, had to meet certain qualifications. First, they had to be appointed by God. And secondly, they, they had to be set apart unto God or holy unto God. And as the appointed and set apart, they were to offer sacrifices for the people on behalf of the people. They were to intercede for the people and they were to teach the people about God and His ways. But there was a problem, of course, because these priests, although selected by God, were nonetheless mere men and prone to corruption. In fact, in 1 Samuel, we find God rebuking one such priest named Eli and then afterwards promising a future priest who would be faithful instead of unfaithful, and who would serve forever instead of temporary. He would be a faithful high priest and a permanent high priest. 1 Samuel 2.35, God says through Samuel, and I'll raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and my mind. And I will build him a sure house 
and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. Now, if you examine this verse a bit more closely, you'll notice that this faithful high priest will go in and out or serve before the anointed king forever. So the priest will serve forever and the king will rule forever. And both of them find their fulfillment in a single anointed one, Jesus Christ. Forever he'll be the great high priest. And forever he'll be the anointed king of kings and lord of lords. He is the promised king priest. And as such, he perfectly met the qualifications for his earthly priestly ministry. First of all, he was set apart. He was holy under the Lord. Hebrews 10 tells us that when Jesus came into the world, He said emphatically to the Father, I have come to do Your will. And He did just that without the, the tiniest deviation. He lived perfectly set apart to God. He did, John 14, exactly what His Father commanded Him. John chapter 5, He spoke only what His Father gave him to speak and did those things only which he saw his father doing. He was perfect. He was set apart. He was holy unto the, the Lord. Hebrews chapter 4 says of concerning that we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. He was set apart. He was holy to the Lord. And therefore, Hebrews 7, unlike the other high priest, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins, because he had none, and then for the sins of the people. No, he sacrificed for their sins once and for all when he offered himself. Jesus was set apart unto the Lord. Secondly, Jesus was appointed by God which was a requirement, again, that was required of all priests. The writer of Hebrews says it like this, Hebrews 5.1, Every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. And no one takes this honor on himself, but receives it when called by God just as Aaron was. In the same way, Christ did not take on Himself the glory of becoming a high priest, but God said to Him, You are My Son, today I have become Your Father. Now those words, of course, come from the baptism of Jesus. And that's when the appointing of Jesus took place. In the Jordan River, when He was baptized by John and anointed with the Holy Spirit for His priestly ministry. But he was not appointed and anointed simply as another Levitical priest after the order of Aaron. That's like all the other priests. No, the writer of Hebrews goes on to tell us, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek, which we found out last week um, identified Jesus as the promised Messiah who according to Psalm 110 would not only be a priest, but would also be a king. He was a king priest, just like Samuel prophesied. And this promised king priest not only fulfilled the qualifications, but also all the duties of the priesthood. 
The first of which was offering sacrifices to atone for sin. And we talked a little bit about this last week, and I, I kind of had to cut it short. So we're going to jump back in there and finish that this morning. Once a year, you'll remember on the Day of Atonement, the high priest offered two goats. One was slain and its blood was sprinkled over the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies to satisfy or to propitiate God's justice. In other words, God's justice says sin must be punished. That justice was satisfied with this blood of the sacrificial animal sprinkled over the top of the, the mercy seat. And after the priest symbolically transferred the people's guilt to the second goat, that goat was taken outside the city to die in order to remove or to carry away. So one goat bore the penalty. Another goat carried away the sin. One goat bore the penalty of sin. The other one carried it, carried it away. Now, in a similar way, on the last day of atonement, as far as God is concerned, I know it's still celebrated, but there was one last day of atonement. Jesus, our great high priest, offered himself on the cross to atone for our sins, both as high priest and also as the sacrifice. He wasn't just the priest who entered in with the sacrifice, he was also the sacrifice himself. And like that first sacrificial goat, Jesus' blood was shed to satisfy the justice of God for all of us. He fully took the penalty of our sin once and for all. And now God is free from the obligation to judge our sin. Now He is free to bless us instead. And like the second sacrificial goat, Jesus was taken outside of the city to hang on a cross to take away our sin guilt forever. We now are free from the obligation to sin. Now we are free to worship. But Jesus is not only our great high priest and the sacrifice, our Lamb of God, He is also the mercy seat. And here's what we never got to last week. On the screen is a, a picture of the ancient tabernacle that God instructed Moses to build in the wilderness was kind of a, a, a mobile worship facility, if you will. And the mercy seat was located inside this uh, structure all the way on the inside of that tent. That was called the Holy of Holies. So you had the outer courtyard where the altar was, where the animals were sacrificed. You had the bronze laver right behind that where the priest would wash his hands in ceremonial cleansing before going in to the first room, the holy place. And then there was a curtain that divided the holy place from the most holy or the holy of holies, a very thick curtain. And he would go in there with the, the blood of the sacrifice only once a year and only the high priest could do this. You can read all about it in Hebrews 9. And in the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant, which contained Aaron's staff, um, the jar of manna, those were both from the wilderness wanderings, and the stone inscribed tablets of the law, the commandments, the Ten Commandments. The lid of this Ark was called the mercy seat. And above the lid, between the cherubim, the two cherubim on both ends, 
was the manifest presence of God. That's where God said, I will meet with my people right there above the lid between the angels. And so above the lid, you had the presence of God. Below the lid were the commandments inside that the people had broken. This is why the priest was coming in once a year to atone for all the commandments, all the times that the commandments had been broken by the nation in one year. But between holy God above and broken commandments below was the mercy seat covered in blood. So when God looked down from above the ark, He didn't see the broken law, but the blood-covered mercy seat. See, the mercy seat was the place where God's mercy was seated. And the point of contact between holy God and His law-breaking sinful people. Therefore, through the mercy seat, sinful people can come into the presence of holy God. That mercy seat made it possible for that representative, the high priest, to come in there and represent the people in an infinitely greater way. Jesus is our mercy seat. He makes it possible for us, in spite of our sin, to come and stand in the presence of holy God. And this is why the writer of Hebrews says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with what? With confidence. And why? so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. See, Jesus fulfilled the first duty of the high priest through His own sacrifice. He has brought us to God. But His work as high priest is not done. It continues in heaven with the second duty of all priests, and that is intercession. Now, an intercessor is someone who goes between and mediates between one person and another person. And therefore, intercessory prayer is making a request to God on behalf of another. Old Testament priests did this a number of ways, including offering up prayers on behalf of the people for God to help them, for God to heal them, or bless them, or strengthen them. One of the first ones that we see in the Bible is when Melchizedek prayed for Abraham in Genesis 14. We see something similar later on in the Law of Moses uh, through the intercessory prayer of the priesthood of Aaron in Numbers chapter 6. It says, the Lord says to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you were to bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn His face towards you and give you peace. So they will put My name on the Israelites and I will bless them. Now Jesus fulfilled this intercessory priestly ministry to perfection. Most notable, of course, was His intercessory prayer on the night He was betrayed recorded in John chapter 17. It's often referred to as the high priestly prayer of Jesus. And in this prayer, Jesus prays all kinds of things for His original disciples and then says this, My prayer is not for them alone. I also pray for those who will believe in Me through their message. That's us. So you can say, Jesus prayed for me. There it is right there. 
our great intercessor not long after that uh, moment with the disciples. He prays for those who are crucifying Him. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And then He completed the pinnacle of His earthly priestly intercession by dying in our place. 1 Timothy 2 says, there is only one mediator between God and man. The man, Christ Jesus. But the book of Hebrews tells us that His intercessory work as our great high priest did not end with His death and with His resurrection. Now that He's ascended to heaven, He continues interceding because as we read earlier, He is a priest forever and priests intercede. In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 21, it says, The Lord has sworn and will not change His mind. You are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant. Now there have been many of those priests, that's the ones in the Old Covenant, since death prevented them from continuing in office. What he's saying is there would be a high priest who would serve for a while. He would die. He'd be replaced by another one. He would die. He'd be replaced by another one. But verse 24 says, but because Jesus lives forever, He has a permanent priesthood. And therefore, He's able to save completely those who come to God through Him because He always lives to intercede for them. Jesus Priestly continues to this very moment right now and will continue throughout all eternity. While on earth, He interceded by praying for us. While on the cross, He interceded by dying for us. And now in heaven, this verse says, He intercedes for us by living for us. The resurrected Christ in heaven. Now, in the letter to Romans, Paul says something very similar. He says in verse 33, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? I love that. It is God who judges. You know, it's it's a rhetorical question. And when when you ask a rhetorical question, you're actually making a powerful statement. I just love that. Who will bring any charge? No one! It's God who justifies. And if God justify you, who will bring a charge against you? Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died more than that, was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and also interceding for us. That's why earlier in chapter 8 it says, therefore there is now no condemnation. What does that mean? The sentence of guilt, the sentence of condemnation is no more. We've been set free through the work of Jesus Christ. Now, many people have taken these two verses, Romans 7.25, Romans 8.34, to mean that Jesus is verbally praying for you in heaven. But you know, neither verse says that. It doesn't say Jesus is praying for you says He's interceding for you. And interceding, by definition, doesn't always mean or is carried out in the act of prayer. 
Prayer is one way to intercede, but technically to intercede on behalf of someone is simply to act on someone else's behalf for someone else. It's like being a, a mediator, if you will, and that certainly includes prayer, but, but really the definition of intercede is much broader than that, and it's in that broader sense of the Word that Jesus is interceding for us. He's not interceding with His words. He's interceding with His resurrected presence in heaven at the right hand of the Father. He is not pleading on one knee before the Father. Over and over in Scripture, it says that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. And if I could personify that, take a little liberty here, it would be like the Father looking over and down to the armrest on the throne next to His throne and seeing that nail-pierced hand of His Son and nodding in affirmation. Nothing else needs to be done. Nothing else needs to be added. It is finished. I know, I know, I know many believers find great comfort in thinking that Jesus is verbally praying for them at this very moment. I don't wish to take away comfort from you, but only to inform you that there is a much, much greater comfort available by rightly understanding His intercession for us. He died. He rose. He ascended to the right hand of the Father in heaven and is right now interceding on your behalf. But He's not verbally praying for you. Let's think a little bit more about it. When you pray, you, why do you pray? You what? You lack something, right? So what would He be pleading for on our behalf that we lack that has not already completely been provided through the cross? If it's this, you know, as, as He said from the cross, it is finished. Why do we need? Oh, it's not finished. It's almost finished. It's partially finished. It's mostly finished. The Greek is really interesting there. It says it is finished with the results that it goes on being finished forever. So why would he need to ask the Father for anything else on our behalf? I mean, is Jesus, is he pleading with the Father because the Father is not completely satisfied with his work on the cross? Is the Father not propitiated? Was His blood not enough? Is the, is the Father somehow not favorably disposed to us and therefore Jesus must overcome His reluctance to bless us? Was our redemption price too small? Has our justification been revoked? Have our adoption papers been lost? Is our, is our heavenly inheritance been amended? No, no, a thousand times no. The cross is sufficient. The work of salvation is finished. There is nothing else to add to that. There are no more prayers to be made. Jesus is not interceding for us with verbal prayers, but with His physical, resurrected, ascended, and eternal scarred hands and scarred side in the presence of God as our great High Priest. And because Jesus is our great high priest, he lives and intercedes for us forever as the ultimate mediator of our salvation. And therefore, our salvation is permanently secure. For our salvation to fail, the high priest would have to die. 
but he can't. Why? Because he lives forever. <laughs> Do you see how secure you are? Your salvation's based upon the high priestly ministry of Jesus, and he lives forever. Hallelujah. He cannot die. Because Jesus, Hebrews 7, 24, lives forever. Now notice this. Rounding the bend. He has a permanent priesthood. Notice it doesn't say that Jesus lives forever and that he is a permanent priest. It says he has a, and that's true, but it says here he has what? A permanent priesthood. And the Bible says that priesthood, just to cut straight to the point, is every person who believes in Jesus Christ. All of us who believe. We are in the priesthood of Jesus. Say, I'm a priest. Oh, some of you can't even say that, can you? Hadn't been long enough, right? <laughs> You'll get there. The only priest you need is Jesus. Every other human priesthood is invalid. He's the great high priest. And you're in his priesthood. And this is, this is what God wanted from the very beginning. He took his children out of Egypt. This is a type of salvation. They crossed the Red Sea. They came down into the desert at Mount Sinai. And at Mount Sinai, God basically said to them, I want you guys to be a kingdom of priests unto me. It's in Exodus 19. He says this, You yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt. You saw the plagues. You saw what I did on your behalf. And how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. That's their journey from Egypt to Sinai. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be, notice these words, my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So what God was saying is He wanted all of them to be a part of His priesthood. But they couldn't because of their sin. They couldn't go up the mountain of God and stand in the holiness of God. So the, the people chose Moses to approach God for them. Basically, they said, Moses, you go up the mountain for us. Be our priest. Not long after that, God calls Moses to consecrate the sons of, of Aaron, the Levites, to serve as priests for the people. But that doesn't change God's original desire. Generations later, the prophet like Moses, the priest like Melchizedek, the king like David came into the world to form the priesthood that God desired from the very beginning. Jesus came to make it possible for us to meet the qualifications of the priesthood. He came to make us the appointed ones the anointed ones, and the ones that are set apart unto God. That's what it means to be holy. It means to be set apart to God. Jesus came to do that. How? Through His sacrifice as our great high priest. Jesus also came to make it possible for us to fulfill the duties of the priesthood. To worship, to offer sacrifices, 
and to intercede. In fact, in language very similar to Exodus 19 at Mount Sinai, the Apostle Peter writes about our priesthood in Jesus and how God qualifies us for the new covenant priesthood and how we fulfill the duties of a priest as New Testament believers. Again, if we kind of remind ourselves with this chart, you have the qualifications and you have the duties. Qualifications, appointed by God, holy to God, duties, worship, offerings, intercession. Now with that in mind, let's look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 and 9. And we'll notice the same thing. It's just like, ex like Exodus here. It says this, as you come to Him, look at this, as you come to Him, now, what's that? Well, that's duty number one. What, when you come before the Lord, it's the, that's the language of coming before God for what? For worship. That's the first duty. As you come to Him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to Him. Remember what God said about it? I want to make you my own precious people? Back in Exodus. As you come to Him, precious to Him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. There's, that's qualification too, right? Holy. To offer up what? Spiritual sacrifices. There's duty too. Now these sacrifices aren't the sacrifices of animals. The Hebrews chapter 13 tells us that we offer a sacrifice to God, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks. Hebrews 13, 15. So what's the sacrifice? The verbal worship to God. We bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of of the Lord. That sacrifice is made acceptable, God, through what? Through Jesus Christ, our great high priest. Then he goes on to say in verse 9, but you are a chosen people. There's qualification one, appointed, chosen by God. A royal priesthood. Now you remember that, right? Not just a priest, but a king priest. After the order, not this time of Melchizedek, but a new priestly order, that of Jesus Christ, the ultimate king priest. A holy nation. God's special possession that you may declare the praises of Him who is called yet a darkness into His wonderful light. And there you see the third duty, intercession. Now you say, all right, now how is that intercession? How is declaring His praises intercession? Well, the idea there is, is not necessarily praising directly, but declaring His praise in the sense of declaring what He should be praised for. Some translations say that you may declare the excellencies. That you may proclaim His excellencies. It's saying to those in darkness, let me explain to you why I praise God. Through the excellencies of the Gospel and Jesus' death and resurrection, He has brought me out of darkness and into light. And that declaration is the greatest kind of priestly intercession you could do. It is standing between them and Jesus and pointing them to Jesus. It's interceding in their life in the greatest way. It's saying, it's saying here is who Jesus is and here is what He has done. Put your trust in Him and join His priesthood. Hallelujah. 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 Too heavy? Hallelujah. You look, it's like almost a dog looking at a new pan. Don't know whether to eat out of that or not. 
I was really anticipating a couple amens then. I looked at you all like. Deer in the headlights. What other colloquialisms can I come up with here? I better stop before I get in trouble. All right, so you're a priest. You're in a priesthood. You're in the priesthood of Jesus. And being part of Christ's priesthood completely changes the way you relate to God. Since you're a priest, you have access. Access means closeness. Access means intimacy with God, closeness with God. You know, it's possible. And sometimes it's the case that a person can be thoroughly saved, Christian, and yet have no experiential closeness with God. This can be caused by several things, sometimes by a pride that refuses to come before God like a little child. But a lot of times it's by an unawareness or an ignorance of our blood-bought priesthood. You can serve God. You can be faithful to God. You can experience His faithfulness. But until you see yourself in His priesthood, you're going to find it very difficult to draw near to God, to experience closeness to God. You'll wait for Him to come to you, but you will rarely go to Him. And yet, that's what priests did. They didn't wait. They went to. They went into the holy place. They went up the mountain of God. They went into the garden of God. Priests go in. They don't wait. They initiate. But if you don't think you're a priest, you're always going to be waiting on the outside. Until you really believe that by virtue of Christ's death and resurrection, you've been made a part of a holy priesthood where you have un hindered access to God, there will always be some distance. And therefore, you'll always be more inclined to look for a priest of some sorts in your life. An intermediary, a go-between, someone who goes in for you. A really spiritual spouse. A spiritual parent. A spiritual friend. Someone to go in for you. Someone to get close for you. To pray your prayers. To sing your praises. To lift their hands for you. To experience the joy of the Lord for you. You know we have a, something just this in us that wants a priest. It's kind of innate. I mean, think about it on Sunday morning. Here we are, we've gathered together to worship God. Do you think sometimes we look at the team up here as kind of a priesthood for us? Take me into the presence of God. Come on, Jesse. Be my great high priest. Come on, take me up the mountain of God. Take me into the Holy of Holies. You're doing pretty good now. Go ahead. I don't know. I think sometimes we do that. Because really what it is, is it's just a bunch of priests who got together that are simultaneously going in at once. Why are you waiting? See, why do you wait? Why does it take four songs? Well, because some of you don't get here on time. That's one reason. <laughs> You'll get to work on time, but you don't come to church on time. I'll go figure that one out. I'll let you work that one out with God. 
We start at 9.30. And we enter in at 9.30 and one second. That's when we start going up the mountain of God. Through Jesus Christ, our great high priest. You can do better. I'm just going to leave it at that. You can do better. Think about it, though. Here we are, a priesthood, right? All gathered together, going in. And all the, so half the priests are coming in late. It's like, no, we're supposed to do this together. We're not coming here assembling as individuals. We're coming together as a priesthood to go into the presence of God together from Psalm 1 at 9.30 in one second. All right, back to my actual sermon. God is waiting for you, longing for you to come into His presence, to experience closeness. Jesus paid the price for closeness. Jesus not only paid the price for your relationship with God, your saving relationship, and we worship God forever for that, but He also paid the price for your fellowship with God. Not only for you to be a part of the family, but for you to have closeness with Him. For you to have the Abba Father come out of your mouth. You say, uh, well, I get that. I just don't feel worthy of that. You're not. None of us are. Who's worthy? Is anybody worthy? We sing that song, don't we? You know that one song, is anybody worthy? I'm just hoping one time somebody doesn't stand up and say, well, I am. No, you're not. No, he's the worthy one. Right? None of us are worthy. And, what? and our confidence for entering in is what? Him. It's Jesus. He's the great high priest. He ever lives to make intercession. He sat down at the right hand of God. It's done. It's finished. Enter in. And our confidence is in Him. The writer of Hebrews says it like this in chapter 10. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus... That's the Holy of Holies. By a new and living way, opened up for us through the curtain that is His body. That curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from the holy place was a type of Christ's body. His body was torn for us on the cross. And at that very moment, the Bible says that from the top to the bottom, the temple curtain in Jerusalem was torn from top to bottom. Four inch thick curtain. That's the signal, and not very subtle. Hallelujah. And since, verse 21 says, we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us, let somebody else go in. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. Let us draw near. Let's not stay out. Let's come in. Let's draw near. Not just when we gather here at 9.30, but in your car, 
at home, in your prayer closet, whenever you say, Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. Right there. What is that? I come to you through my great high priest as a priest belonging to his priesthood. All right, so don't let anybody be your priest. Don't let anybody take your place, go in for you. Jesus died to give you direct access to go to God by making you a part of this priesthood of all believers. And He shed His blood to do it for you. But to be in the priesthood, it says you have to come to Him. That's what we read earlier. As you come to Him. As you approach Him. You do that, this verse says, by a new and living way. And that way is Christ. He is the way to the Father. He is the great high priest by which we enter in. He is the ultimate sacrifice made for us that makes it possible for us, even though we still sin, to stand in the presence of holy God. Hallelujah. As you come to Him. But you have to take that step. You have to come to Him. We call that believing. You've got to believe. You believe the Gospel. Christ died on the cross for your sins. He took your place. He was a substitute for you. He bore your penalty. The Father said, I'm satisfied. Now all that's left for you to do is to say, I'm going to take that as my way to heaven. I'm going to receive Jesus as the one who bore my sin, who stood in my place, who died and rose from the dead. I'm going to take Jesus. He who has the Son has life. He who does not, does not. There's only one way. There's only one way to be forgiven. There's only one way to have this kind of relationship with God. There's only one way to enter into this priesthood. It's by Jesus Christ. And if you have not done that, I want to lead you this morning in a confession of faith, a confession of believing. We believe in our hearts. The Bible says that Jesus died for us on the cross and rose again. We confess that with our mouths unto salvation. So if you've never believed, you can do that right now. It's just a simple moment of faith. You understand the Gospel now. You understand what Christ did for you. But you have to come to Him as we come to Him through Christ. Let's say it together. I believe in Jesus Christ that He died on the cross for my sin and that He rose again to make me right with God to be a part of the priesthood of God I have access by faith in Jesus Christ I'm a child of God by faith in Jesus Christ and since Jesus lives forever I am secure forever in the love of God. Nothing can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. I believe that now in Jesus' name. Amen.